Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, and I'm the host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable, and I have with me today my guest, Larry Thompson. He's with a company called AMPS, and I'm going to let Larry explain a little bit more about what AMPS is and what they do. Um, thank you very much for being here with me today, Larry. I really appreciate your being here. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Dorothy. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you inviting me. Um, I am currently the Chief Strategy Officer and Chief Revenue Officer for AMPS. AMPS is a cost management company that's about nearly 16 years old, um, focused primarily on um, self-funded healthcare cost containment. Um, we offer a variety of different products um, to be able to help self-funded employers save on their medical spend. So can you tell me first what AMP stands for? Sure. AMP stands for Advanced Medical Pricing Solutions. Thank you. I knew that, but I wanted to make sure that our listeners knew that. So you told us a little bit about your general services. Let's talk about one of the hottest topics right now, which is, of course, reference-based pricing. Can you define it first for our listeners in case they're not as familiar with it, and then we can go from there? Yes. Um, reference-based pricing, or RBP as it's called in the industry, is a concept of pricing medical claims based on a series of benchmarks. Every RBP company is different. Uh, the leaders have massive claim data bases, and they draw from that data and information to be able to price. All RBP companies also benchmark across Medicare. Um, the two largest players in the space um, today have about 50% market share, a little over 50% market share, and about 78 years of data in the RBP space. There are a tremendous amount of startups in the space in the last two to three years. And while many of them offer great technology, their databases aren't quite as large. RBP is utilized to be able to allow employers to get the absolute best cost for their medical spend. Yes, as you know, uh, I've been working with reference-based pricing for a few years with my clients as well. It's not as common, or it wasn't when I started, I should say, here on the West Coast as it was you know, in other parts of the country. So we had a little bit later start, but I know that AMPS started much before I did. Um, but having said that, I'm always looking at new vendors, and I want to see what the differences are between vendors and so forth. And that's why I was so excited about having you on this podcast today. Um, so for employers that are using reference-based pricing solutions for their health plan or they're thinking about it. Can you tell us a little bit about how you differentiate yourselves from other RBP vendors? Sure. Um, you know, as I said, uh, there are a number of things. Um, you know, we are the second oldest RBP vendor in the country and we're the second largest in the country. So those are two differentiators in that we have lots of experience, lots of data and um, <clears throat> know the marketplace very well. But the real differentiators are the fact that we offer um, intelligent pricing. So we offer a multitude of ways that people can purchase our services. The typical and the way RBP started was a percentage of gross bill charges, which the largest player in the space still uses as their primary pricing methodology. We offer that methodology, but we also offer clients um, the opportunity to price based on a PEPM or a per employee per month um, basis. Yeah, I'm glad that um, you do that, actually, by the way, because I know that my clients, for example, they like having a set amount. They like to be able to budget and say the all the administrative expenses are going to be known up front. And so that's really good that you do that because that scares them a little bit when they have to worry about those percentages because they just don't know what that is. That's a, that's, that's kind of a little, you know, for, for a CFO, they, they just don't like that that much. So I just wanted to bring that up, that that's actually a very good thing for a lot of employers. 
And a little known fact, Dorothy, is that we would love to be able to price as a percentage of savings, which would be tied therefore to our performance. But under ERISA, we cannot do that since we're fiduciaries to the plan. So that's why we had to choose the PPM method. We also offer uh, several levels of RBP contracts. So, you know, some some people want, um, you know, just a basic type contract. Some want um, a lot of different options, and we'll get into that more as we go on. We offer a lot of customization. So we offer add-ons like custom stop loss, uh, select direct pricing contracts, legal defense, and other options that are available. Um, we we have one of the largest member advocacy teams in the industry. I think it actually is the largest. Um, so we focus a lot on the member experience and their protection. We have very advanced uh, proprietary technology. And we'll talk about that some more later on, but our tech really separates us. As I said earlier, we have 15 years of pricing data because not only do we have our RBP data, but we have our MBR data, which I know we're going to talk about in a moment. And that gives us literally billions of pricing data points to work from. And then the final differentiator, I really think, is our reporting and analytics, which I think are some of the best in the industry. Yeah, we'll get into all of those things. And I know that you have a lot of years of cost management experience, as, as you mentioned, uh, long before reference-based pricing. So let's talk about the one you just mentioned, medical bill review. Perhaps you can tell our listeners why this additional component can be important to self-insured employers. And for those not so familiar with it, let's just start first with what medical review is all about. Yeah, medical bill review is the concept of going in and actually reviewing primarily facility claims, large claims uh, for errors, for coding, and for clinical issues. We do it differently than most people in the market in that we use our AI and machine learning proprietary software to find coding errors, bundling and unbundling. And a lot of people in the market do that. But then we add a second layer, which is we have a team of physicians and we do a full physician clinical review of the itemized bills from all the facilities. Um, our MBR is um, you know, differentiated in the market because we keep track of how well our pricing sticks. And by that, I mean, when we reprice and do this process and we put out those savings, how often do the providers accept our savings and our rationale, especially on the clinical side? And one of the things we're thrilled about is that our current national percentage is 98.3% of the time. Just to benchmark that, the industry average is in the low 70s. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's ridiculously great. Um, as you know, many, many years ago, um, I used to run a third-party administrator, and it's really interesting that you guys have this concept wrapped into your reference-based pricing and all your all of your other products, because way back in the day, many, many moons ago, when I ran a TPA, all of our hospital bills over a certain dollar amount were automatically sent for a medical bill review. And over the years, in my opinion, that seemed to just sort of go away um, in the marketplace. And it was really nice when I heard more about what you guys are doing and I started really getting into the the uh, details, getting into the weeds and so forth. Um, I was really happy to see that you guys are taking that additional step because, again, as someone who ran a third-party administrator for nearly 12 years, um, it just seems so natural to look at something like medical bill review. It seems pretty basic to you and I uh, because of our industry backgrounds, but maybe to the self-insured employer, um, they may not have that background. So I just think that's an amazing thing that you guys do that. And I, and I don't understand why all reference-based pricing vendors don't do that. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Well, let me speak to that for a sec. So back in the day, as you know, I, I've run many TPAs, yes. including my own for yes. 16 years. Um, back in the, in, you know, the 80s, most PPO contracts had clauses in them that allowed the PPOs and their TPAs to do medical bill auditing. Over the years, as there was compression in the PPO space, 
many of the big PPOs gave up that right in exchange for a few points of extra discount. So if you look at many of the BUCA contracts today for PPOs, they no longer have clauses that allow them to do medical bill review because they negotiated those out to get slightly better discounts. When our founder started AMPS, that was the progenitor. He recognized there was this big gap because all the TPAs and all the PPOs used to do deep medical review on large claims. Right. right. All of a sudden, it started to go away. So we saw an opportunity there to deliver something to the market. And that's how I'm started. Yeah, and that's and that's a great thing. I, for again, for those employers that aren't as familiar, this if you were self-insured in the '80s, as Larry said, when him and I were in the TPA business way back when, um, yeah, it was pretty common. But thank you for that background because I wasn't really as familiar with all of those changes in the contracts because I haven't been in the TPA space for a while. But uh, that's that's good to know. I always wondered why did it go away. So thank you for that explanation. Well, let's talk about the additional savings that can be found with medical bill review. What do you guys seeing? Well, a couple of things. First of all, you know, CMS today reports that 90% of all hospital bills have an error in them. Our data nationally shows that 93% of all hospital bills that we review have errors in them. Yeah, isn't that amazing so, that it's that high? I mean, it truly, isn't that amazing? I mean, you would think that they would be that they would be relatively, you know, correct going out there, but somebody needs to be looking over these the shoulders of these of these medical providers and looking at these things. And so I just again, I just think the the numbers are 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 ridiculous and and I I just glad that someone's looking into these into these types of things again. So thank you. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt your thought there, but I wanted to throw that in. Not at all. We agree completely. And it really goes back to the nature of how the billing systems work in providers and hospitals and the way that the information is input. But you asked about savings, and that's really important. So the industry average for medical bill review is 5% or less. At AMPS, we track between 8 and 12%. And actually, we have had situations of where We've even had 14% savings um, in certain bail review instances. Wow. That's a lot. That's good. Yeah, very significant. So I think it's a, a wonderful product because what happens, Dorothy, with, with reference base pricing is that there has to be some member involvement, and we'll get to that further in our discussions. But the beautiful part about MBR is that it operates behind the scenes. It really doesn't cause any abrasion. It causes no member issues. Most of the time, it doesn't even involve the employer, but it can be significant savings. Um, We've done case studies recently. We had a $14 million claim we looked at. By the time we were through with it, we saved more than two-thirds on that claim. Whoa. Uh, But that was RBP and MBR combined. But the MBR percentage by itself was over 12%. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's great. <laughs> that's really good. So let's kind of try to put this all together now. Why does your all-in-one MBR and RBP cost management service, why does this work together? And how does it work when you put them together? Kind of walk us through that. Well, I think the real reason it works is because we review the claims more thoroughly and with deeper data and experience, so we can dig in deeper. All facility claims go through our MBR first, and they are then reviewed through our physicians, and then they move into our RBR uh, system, which then further maximizes the savings. We always aim for fair pricing for all, and this is an important distinction as to what AMS does. We set our standard in the RBR field, we set our standard um, preferred uh, payment levels at starting out at about 150% of Medicare. So for your listeners, that's kind of the target that we set. Um, And our national average, our results, and we've been looking at this for the last five years, we average coming at about across our entire book of business, million plus members, is about 148% of Medicare. So we generally do 
a little better than our target. Mm -hmm. Here's what's interesting. Most of our competitors, or many of them, they start out with a target of 120% and actually eat their way up to about 152. We like to think that the important balance here in RBP is between the discounts and the member abrasion. So we offer our advocacy service so that we can support the members and walk them through the process as to how it works and protect them through our legal defense process. All flexibility in pricing so that our clients can choose what services they want and what they don't is another way that we save money. And then of course, as we've discussed before, we at AMPS believe we always have to be a fiduciary to the plan. Yeah. And that's a distinction for us. Yeah, it really is. But let's go back to what you were saying a moment ago. You talked about a lot of uh, uh, employers will start at 120% of Medicare and then it goes up from there because of all the negotiations back and forth. Uh, what we've seen, uh, my, my book of business and, and a lot of the other uh, reference-based pricing uh, products that I've seen, they're generally suggesting 130 to 140% of Medicare, 130% maybe on the on if they do full RBP with providers, doctors and uh, professional services as well as hospitals. They might start at 130% for the professional services side and then 140% for the hospital side. Um, do you think that maybe some of the problems that they might be seeing is because they're starting those too low? Should they, should they be looking at more of 150% to basically not have as much provider pushback? Is that what you're saying yeah well we've we've studied this very very carefully for the past seven years and what we found is you have to balance discounts versus you know provide a pushback mm -hmm. so one of the things we've learned is that the billing systems facilities um, have certain trigger points built into them and every health system builds them differently. So for example, we know there are a lot of health system billings that say if a payment comes in from a payer on a self-funded plan at less than pick a number, 165% of Medicare, we're automatically going to send out a balanced bill. And what most people don't understand is that the initial balance billing that comes from most providers is not somebody sitting at the provider saying, gosh, ABC Corporation paid me too little for this procedure. I want more money. I'm going to go ask the provider. Most of it, 99% of it is all automated. So the magic that we think we bring is by setting the payment levels at a fair for all pricing level, we get less of the claims getting balance billed. And therefore, long term, we have less member abrasion, less negotiation, and definitely a lot less provider abrasion, which is important because remember, many times we're going to have to go back to these providers over and over mm -hmm. and over mm -hmm. again. Um, so we want to form relationships with providers where they don't think we're coming in with a two by four to beat them over the head. Rather, they look at us as a partner that's going to give them fair pricing but still very strong discounted pricing for our customers. Yeah, and I would think that the employers would be very appreciative of that because I know that uh, most of my uh, employer clients have actually had very little provider pushback, but we've had one, for example, that, yeah, they have certain medical groups that are just, you know, they, they fight just about everything. And, and the funny thing is, is that before COVID-19, that didn't happen. Uh, with COVID-19, we're seeing it happening more and more and more, probably because of, to some extent, the providers, you know, they're not getting the extra money that they're used to getting for all those voluntary surgeries and all these other types of things that, that make the hospitals, uh, make the providers a lot more money. And so now I think, in my opinion, from what I've seen from these particular medical groups and so forth and, and hospitals surrounded by those, you know, they're all linked together, um, certain networks, certain hospitals and, and medical groups, um, they're just pushing back everything now, uh, which we didn't see that before. Um, have you guys had any experience in that at all? You know, actually, there are two buckets. Um, so some providers are doing what I would call uh, gouging, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. where they have upped their prices and they are fighting everything they can to get every extra dollar because elective procedures were put off for so long with the COVID, COVID shutdown. There's another bucket, however, of providers that are looking at it the other way around and saying, we want volume, we want volume quickly, and we're willing to discount so that we can drive that volume back up to pre-COVID numbers. So we're seeing both, but it varies very significantly around the country. So mm-hmm. in South Carolina, oh, they are they are balance billing everything. They're attacking, they're, they're very aggressive. And in other markets, it's the other way around. Right. So it really varies by geography and the type of health system. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know too because it's nice to work with vendors that actually understand the differences in the in the in the geography and the types of providers and so forth. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Let's talk a little bit about your intelligent pricing. You use medical bill review utilizing a dynamic approach to cost savings. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we we use both the mechanical AI review as well as the clinical. And then we ask for itemized bills, and this is a big differentiator. You know, you can't take a UB and do what we need to do to really analyze what's being billed. So itemized billings are important, but then there's a second piece. Every billing system codes things differently. So we created 14 years ago, our own algorithm that allows us to normalize the terminology that's utilized in these billing systems and the charges so that we can do fair comparisons and actually benchmark them against our benchmarks like Medicare and others. So that's a very unique piece of technology that's our own IP. So that's important. And then after we sort out all the errors and the coding issues, we then move that claim into the clinical review. And this is an important differentiator as well. When when we looked at starting this, our founder, one of the thoughts was, well, we'll just do like everybody else does, hire a bunch of nurses and have them do the review. And what we recognized very quickly was that's not going to work. If you're going to challenge pricing based and procedure based on clinical protocols, you need to do that with physicians. So the second thought was to use retired physicians, but our founder was smart enough to recognize that was going to get pushback as well. So we decided we'd use actual top of the line practicing physicians in many different specialties. But the challenge we had there, Dorothy, was how do you get a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's in the top of his field to review claims for amps? Exactly, exactly. Long before Uber was created, our founder created another piece of technology that's Uber-like technology that allowed us to be able to send claims notify our physicians that they had claims waiting in a queue to review, and they could then work those claims whenever they had a break, in between surgeries, in office hours, on the weekends, at the golf course, wherever, I hope not at the golf course, (laughs) but um, it gave them tremendous flexibility. And we now have nearly 30 practicing top of the field physicians in many specialties. So that was another big piece of what we do. And then finally, um, we actually provide a written physician explanation of what we have done to take discounts on the clinical side. And this is what causes us to have the stickiness I referred to earlier, because when we send that out to a provider, and you're now talking clinician to clinician, and they can read that detailed report and see that, you know, we found that there were three MRIs ordered on the same day, and we know the patient only had one. Right. Uh, or that this particular drug was supposed to be administered at a certain dosage, which would have killed an elephant. But in actuality, we know that never happened. And that's why combine all these things, 
That's why we have this really high ratio of people accepting our pricing and our changes to the billing. Yeah, that's that sounds that sounds amazing. That sounds really great. Um, and you're right, providers do take other providers more seriously than a doctor doesn't want to listen to a nurse telling him what's right and what's wrong um, and what they did properly on a bill and what they didn't do properly on a bill. Um, yeah, just the peer-to-peer type thing seems to be a lot more effective. So what a great concept that you guys came up with there. I, congratulations on that. That's that's I just I just love that that whole story. That's great. Um, you offer and you mentioned this a couple times an AMPS legal team to protect the member and to maximize savings. Can you tell us a little bit about how this approach works? Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, as I said earlier, um, we are always a fiduciary to the plan. So we set ourselves up that way very early on because it was our belief that we need to give employers the confidence in knowing that under the ERISA law, we are going to be held to a standard that says we must put our clients and the plan and the member ahead of our own needs. So that's the first thing we do. But our legal team is there to protect and defend the client and the member, depending upon whether they purchase the optional defense. But if they have, we will defend either and both in any kind of billing dispute. And that includes if we had to go to court. Um, But the team also, the legal team also drives our negotiations and creates our global and our single case agreements to resolve disputes. So unlike many of our competitors, we actually have paralegals and attorneys uh, that negotiate on our behalf in these disputes. And the reason we do that is We want to be able to make sure that legally we are, again, protecting the member and the client. If we reach an agreement, we need to know that that's going to be ironclad and stand up legally. And then, unlike all competitors, I'm happy to say, we rarely ever go to court. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, in the last seven years, AMPS has only had one issue, one that we have had to do a court battle on. Wow, uh, that's amazing. We, we, because of our fear for, fear for all pricing, because of how we approach the negotiation and the dispute process, because of all the data and the clinical information we have, we actually end up with less than one-tenth of 1% one of our claims nationally going into any kind of legal dispute. So let, let, just because you mentioned this, I want to bring this one point up that you mentioned. You said that people would have to, employers would have to purchase this additional product. Um, and once they do that, you guys don't have to, or the employer doesn't have to worry because you guys handle all of that stuff uh, for them. But let's talk about that for just, you wouldn't mind expanding on that just a little bit because it's not just going to court. There's other things that happen that you might need to have a legal team because, and I'm speaking from experience here, sometimes we've had to have our clients um, just have a letter or some kind of conversations between the law firm and, and the provider that's just really, really, really not playing ball at all. And we have to work with them. So I'm assuming that that's all included in part of this when they buy this package with the legal um, the legal team approach um, that that's all included that is so let let's let's explore that a little bit so there are many different ways that our legal team gets involved so let's take a situation of where a member has been denied access to a facility because they have an RBP plan. And believe it or not, it happens, not often, but right. it does. It can, yeah. Our legal team and our negotiation team will jump right in and try to negotiate a single case agreement on behalf of that member to get that member in and get them served. An example, over the weekend, Friday afternoon late, a child was supposed to go into a children's hospital back on the East Coast. They refused. They said they don't accept RBP. Our team, we notified, they jumped in, began work, and by 10 o'clock on Monday morning, we had a single case agreement, and that child who had serious cancer and needed an infusion therapy was admitted to the hospital. So that's one area where we work. Secondly, we work with providers, as I said, where oftentimes we're going back to the same provider over and over, 
And sometimes those providers will mention to us or us to them, hey, rather than every time we come to you, we have to negotiate or we have to do a single case agreement, why don't we do a global agreement? So that every time AMS has any client, we can come in, the pricing set, you accept the patients and we're all fine. And so those global agreements is another thing we do. But then let's go to where there is actually balance bills and we have to negotiate those. And a lot of times it's our team having to reach out and explain how our BP works and what we're trying to accomplish and what the basis is of why we're pricing the way we are. That decreases a lot of the pushback. But then let's go to the really bad stuff where the employer has instructed us to play hardball, the member is stuck in the middle and the facility or the provider decides we have balance billed, we're not getting the money, we're gonna take them to collections. Mm That's another area where our legal team works. And you should know, Dorothy, not only do we have our in-house legal folks that are there to protect the member and stop those credit dings, but we also have on retainer a credit repair attorney firm, a national one, very well known, that works to solve all those problems should they arise. Now, as I said, it's very rare But when it does, we want to make sure that any settlement we negotiate does not affect the member's credit. So those are all the things the legal defense process works on. Yeah, and that's really important because we had one recently where um, a member's credit uh, was attacked, and uh, it was it was kind of a nightmare getting through it. Um, I wish we had had you guys on uh, on that claim right from the beginning <laughs> on that particular group because that would have probably solved a lot of problems. Because that's one thing that an employer does not want to have happen. Um, as soon as sure. the HR department comes to us and says this provider is, you know, I know we've been negotiating, but this. They've just now just said that this this members uh, this employee who's an important employee to us um, they've just you know gone after their credit and and that's that's something that's it's hard as as a consultant as a broker I mean we don't want to hear this but we need to get it fixed right away because there's nothing that makes an employer more upset in my opinion than having that happen especially the HR department being right in the middle of that so I just I wanted to bring that up because it really does happen not often but when it does it's it's not pleasant for anyone. And uh, it's nice to know that you guys have ways of uh, dealing with that right from the get-go uh, to avoid the situation from happening in the first place. So that's a we great do. thing. Yeah, that's a great thing. Well, tell us a little bit about your care navigation. How does that work? Uh, tell us about pre-claim negotiations. Just tell us about how that whole process works. Well, our care navigation is designed to be able to uh, steer members to RBP-friendly providers. I mean, that ultimately is the goal, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. there is very little member abrasion. We have proprietary technology, again, that allows us to take every single transaction that we process and put it into our system and overnight it dynamically upgrades our provider friendliness scores every single night. So this technology not only shows us where those providers are and who they are, but it's really up to date. So if in a particular day, a provider had accepted two RBP claims in the last month, and then all of a sudden decided not to, they got a new billing person and rejected, that provider score would change in the system automatically overnight so that our members are always up to date. Mm -hmm. In addition, um, we we also provide provide a quality information. Now, AMPS doesn't develop that information internally. We purchase it from Quantros, but we want our employers and their members to be able to see not only the friendliness from a uh, pricing perspective, but also to be able to look at the quality ratings around those providers when they're making choices. And we do pre-claim negotiation if a client has purchased our Connects product, which includes the ability to do that. And many times we will have people who have elective surgeries who will come to us and say, I've got to have a knee replacement. Help me to find a high quality provider with a great price that I know I won't have member uh, abrasion. And that's where we go to work through the Connects program. In addition to all of that, 
over the years, we have developed a number of direct provider contracts through what we call Amps America. It's just a subsidiary that does that contracting. Now, this is not a network. This is a pricing capability. We don't credential. We don't go through all the PPO stuff, but it gives us pricing agreements with those facilities. So if a particular member is in an area where we have those direct contracts, those are gonna show up at the top of the list when they go into our provider finder tool, and they will then be able to go see those providers. The employer gets great rates and there's no member pushback. And I'm happy to say that also on top of all of that, in 2021, early, we're gonna launch our cash pay program where people will be able to come to us, ask us to negotiate a cash advance price. The employer and the member will pay their portions and we will deliver even deeper discounts through that process. Well, that sounds like a great, that sounds like a great program. Well, you mentioned this earlier, but I want to come back to it because it's so important. You have a member advocacy program. Can you walk us through how you deal with balance billing issues and what your program really is set up to do to, to assist employers in, this, in these uh, types of situations? Absolutely. It's, it's you know, a very, very important part of what we do. We have nearly 50 full-time advocates that now work at AMPS in working with our membership. Sadly, Dorothy, most people don't understand the medical billing process, as I mentioned before, nor should they. They're, they're in other businesses, but facilities generally are where most of the balance bills come from, less so from physicians, although there are some of those. Um, but generally what happens again is those systems will tag a payment if it falls below a certain trigger point. And again, when that happens, the balance bills come out automatically. When that happens, we ask the members immediately to send us those balance bills, and we immediately notify the provider that we are going to dispute that on behalf of the member. And we go further, we also notify the credit reporting agencies under the Fair Credit Reporting Act so that they can't change the member's credit ratings in any way. Um, We then stay in touch with the member And believe it or not, we use the most powerful tool that we have, which is we wait. Oh, (laughs) sorry. I thought you were going to say a cell phone. (laughs) No, we wait. Time is our best tool. And in the clear majority of cases, the provider does not balance bill again and writes off the balance. In some cases, a second. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's go. Go ahead, please. Not at all. I can tell you statistically, it happens more than you would believe. Furthermore, if there's a second balance bill, we go through that same process again and we wait. And again, that cuts the number down even further. And it's only really generally when they turn the member over to collections, then if it's before the ERISA six month appeal window, and again, you know that they have to, the provider has to stay within that window if they're going to do that. Um, if they turn it over to a collection agency, our legal team springs into action and we obviously begin negotiation. But most often we negotiate a fair settlement and pay the agreed upon balance. And that happens again in less than 1% of all the claims we work on. We have a national balance bill average of about four to 5%. That's where it starts. When you go from there to the second balance bill, it drops in half to about 2%. From there, when we wait again, it drops down to 1%. And when we get into negotiating, we get down to less than one-tenth of one percent. So tell me, so that, so, so with all this, with the wait, uh, wait and see technique that you're using, how does that, how do employers feel about that? When I mean, do they have concerns that nothing is being done? I mean, I'm just, walk me through that. I mean. It is singularly the hardest thing we do, and it requires negotiation and lots of touch with the members. Because think about it, Dorothy, you got a balance bill from a facility. They're asking you for an extra $10,000. You make 16 bucks an hour, and you're sitting there saying, my gosh, this bill is hanging out. And the normal response from a member would be, this has been three months, and 
nothing has happened. But the truth is, that is in our favor. So what we do is we have a system by which we reach out to the members on a regular basis and contact them and explain what we're doing and tell them. And actually, in October, when our new member app comes out, all of our members will be able to go on to the balance bill segment and actually see what the status is of their claim. Most of the time, they're going to go in and see no status change, but they're also going to see a clock on the bottom that's going to show the timeline, what time is left for that provider to challenge on their ERISA. And once the six-month mark hits, they lost their, they lost the battle. It's over. So we want to keep them very, very secure. We want to continue to tell them that we're here to defend them. We're here to help them. We're going to negotiate. We're not going to let their credit get destroyed. But doing nothing is actually the best tool that we have. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. I had not thought of that. <laughs> so let's talk about data. You've, you've mentioned analytics and reporting at the beginning, and I'd like to come back to that uh, because I know it's an important feature that you guys offer. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, probably the most outstanding piece of AMPS. I, I look at AMPS as a platform company, not really a cost management company because it's the technology and the data that drives everything. We are one of the largest, as you know, in the space, and therefore we have one of the largest databases on pricing. And we now have technology that allows us to do heat mapping and all kinds of drill downs to look at pricing all across the country. This obviously comes from 15 years of MBR work and six plus years of RBR, RBP uh, work. We utilize our own IP so that we can manage that data efficiently and our stacks are very modern and really ahead of the industry. We have dedicated analytics teams and we do easy to understand but very detailed reporting. We provide customers and TPAs a portal so that they can go in and look at the status of claims and information and provide them with other information. We have standard reporting packages that we offer to our customers. And we have many, many custom dashboards that we develop in Power BI that we launch and offer to our members. And then, as I just mentioned, our newly developed uh, member app, which is in testing right now, will be available to our membership in October. Lastly, our reporting is so good that we even have our own iteration of RBP stop loss because we were able to go to the actuaries and provide them with credible data so they could price AMPS stop loss based purely on our historical performance. So does that mean that uh, what you're saying with that is that you have uh, special arrangements with stop-loss carriers um, because of your good analytics and good reporting that you're able to get deeper discounts? Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. And so far in the market, in the tests, we started this in January. We've written quite a few cases, and um, we've just added a second carrier uh, to the list that evaluated and is now there. So we do about uh, 30, maybe more proposals a month. And we're winning a lot of those because the discounts are significantly better than what the industry would price RBPN. So does that mean that you would have a broker instead of them going out, for example, to their TPA to get a quote or to do all the quoting or having, in our case, our our own team does it because as you know, our background is because we were, I was in the TPA business for so long, we've always done the quoting ourselves. Are you saying that then instead of going to the TPA or having the broker do it, that they should go to you and have the stop loss quotes um, uh, quoted from you guys? Is that what you're saying? Or do they just go on their own and just say you're, we're going to be using amps? How does that work? No, they'd have to come through us. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that right now we take a very, you know, again, Swiss approach to this we look at all the proposals that come in. If we think we have a, a competitive stance, we will offer the broker and the TPA uh, to look at our 
a free look at our proposal. So we'll run it through our stop loss vendor. We'll put out a quote. We'll send it to the um, uh, to the broker or the TPA. If they can do better in the marketplace, God bless them. But right now, we've got a pretty strong batting average. As a matter of fact, we've had several large brokers who have their own iterations of stop loss, um, like Gallagher and Aon and others who have come back and said, we can compete. So we do it voluntarily. We don't force anybody to take it, but absolutely it is available to all our TPAs and brokers. So we could actually just look at this as another opportunity. Uh, when we go out to bid, one of our bidding channels would be to you guys because you can give us additional quotes and, and you might come in with, with better quotes than, than what we have ourselves. Then we can make those comparisons. Absolutely. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, well, we've been talking about this a few times, and I, I really want to end with this because you've, you've mentioned it two or three times, and it's so important, and, and we said we'd come back to it, and, and, and I do want to come back to it. Um, probably one of the most important things that we've talked about today, as far as employers are concerned, is your position on acting as a planned fiduciary. Let's talk more about that. Let's talk about indemnification. Let's talk about why your being a fiduciary is so important. Well, as you know, uh, Dorothy, because you're an absolute expert on ERISA, more so even than me. Um, Thank you. It is, it, it is, well, you are one of the best. I, I've always, but we believe it's critical since our customers, 95% of them are all self-funded and under ERISA. So if they're going to operate under that umbrella, we felt that it was very important that they know that we are a fiduciary and that forces us as you know to act in the best interest of the plan and not in our best interest so many times in our industry we will have carriers come out and say oh we're nonprofit, so therefore we're going to be great for you well you know that and and many things will show you that that's not true. But fiduciary, that is, as you know, under ERISA, a very enforceable and a very strong statement to make. Yeah, and it is. And, and I think just because you're talking about this, I'd like to throw in one additional thing and then let you continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. But ERISA has something very important wrapped into it called the prudent man rule. And uh, I think that uh, that's something important that people should understand, that what you're talking about is is written into the law. You must act the same way that any prudent person would be uh, would be acting uh, given the same circumstances. And I just wanted to mention that because I think it's so important. And that's why I wanted to bring this talk back and end with something as, as, as important as this topic. So please continue. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I'm glad you did because I had it here in my notes. The prudent man rule is something that we utilize a lot in making decisions around pricing and negotiations because that's important. So if you're not a fiduciary, many people could go into this business and say, I'm going to negotiate, I'm going to push the provider bleeding down into the dirt. But that might not be the prudent thing to do because ultimately that could lead to tremendous pushback, lawsuits, various and sundry other things that are not in the best interest of the plan. Conversely, we also don't want to give away the farm. So we're going to use that prudent man rule to say, uh, PPO would pay this facility at 204% of Medicare. And they're asking us for, on behalf of our member to pay 400. That's not prudent either. So we think that plays very heavily into how we operate our business day to day. And certainly, affects our decisions around that. But you should also know that because we take that stance and because we have such strong indemnification, that we also have full reinsurance behind us so that we can provide that indemnification. And it's a million dollar uh, indemnification that we offer to our clients so that we can provide the highest level of defense and the appropriate way to help them work their way through. And then we have, you know, very, very few instances where any, again, legal action has had to take place. And I'm also happy to say that no client has ever challenged us on our actions under our fiduciary responsibility. AMSA has never had a challenge that has come across. So we're very, very pleased 
that we can operate that way and we hold ourselves to a pretty high standard. Yeah, and that's that's an important thing to keep in mind too because as you said most most vendors do not do this and I think it gives the employers a really terrific uh sense and peace of mind I guess you could say uh knowing that you are acting in that manner and that uh you, you are taking their you know their interests into consideration and making that a primary focus as to you know how you react on every situation so again I think that's just a, a really really positive um way that you guys do business and that's why I wanted to talk about it a little bit more today so thank you for sharing that information with us um so we've talked about a lot of stuff today and I want to thank you very much for this it's been very very helpful I'm sure that our listeners are going to be really happy to hear this because it's, you guys take a lot different approach to a lot of things than than a lot of the vendors do out there. I know uh, reference-based pricing is huge. Uh, it's getting bigger every day in the self-funded marketplace, and, and it's nice to know that you have other options available to you, and you guys have been in the space for quite some time. Again, I'm, I'm on the West Coast, so um, it's, it's not, you know, it hasn't been around as long as it has been in other parts of the country, and I was in a wait-and-see approach for, for a few years because I liked the idea, I liked the concept, but I didn't want any of my clients on the West Coast being, you know, guinea pigs in, in the, in the reference-based pricing uh, space. So I was kind of sitting back and waiting for the data to come in and waiting, waiting until I felt comfortable with it before I, you know, I educated my clients on it early on, but um, didn't place any for a few years uh, because I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I had all my ducks in a row and that I was very comfortable with, with the concept and started writing articles and doing research and years back and, and that sort of thing. So it's nice to know that you guys are doing what you're doing. It's nice to know that uh, you have a good professional staff and, and I just, uh, I'm really excited excited about uh, learning more and more and more about what you guys are doing and working with you guys and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to this. So thank you so much. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you or to AMPS, how do they contact you and how do they contact your team? What's the best way to go about doing that? Well, um, they can contact us through our website, you know, AMPS.com. They can do it by email or phone. And also all of your listeners, feel free to reach me. Uh, my email address is Thompson at advancedpricing.com. I'd be happy to talk to anybody and provide information. And we've got a wonderful team of uh, sales associates that are happy to work with anybody and educate them um, on our processes, what we do and and how we take care of our customers. Well, thank so thank you. you, Dorothy, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been it's been my pleasure, and it's good to talk to you again. Um, I didn't mention this in the beginning. I probably should have. Larry and I go back many, many years. Um, <laughs> Too many, years. <laughs> Too many years. Too many years. Let's talk decades. Okay. Uh, so it's really yeah. nice to have you as my guest today. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care of yourself uh, in these bad times and keep make sure everybody stays healthy and, and uh, stay safe during this whole COVID-19 thing and so that we can all get through this together and, and uh, hopefully be able to meet face-to-face uh, at some point in, very, in the very near future. Likewise. Appreciate it and stay safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll-free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.